Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Continuing studies in the writings of the Apostle Peter, we welcome you to this study once again and hope that you are gleaning uh, much from it as we go through it. We are studying in 2 Peter, just beginning the second chapter of that epistle last week, and after the introduction, we did about three verses. <clears throat> that were packed full of information and things we needed to look closely at. And tonight, I have rather a long introduction also, but mainly because of the topic, the material that we're going to be covering uh, in this chapter, and especially the third and final chapter of this epistle, um, needs a good introduction, so nothing comes as a real surprise. Um, in our understanding. Now, <clears throat> as we study uh, chapter 2 of Second Peter, we see the clear teaching of the apostle as he is using history, historical facts from the scriptures, and then the present time that they were living in as the writing was done and their lives were being lived. And the third, the soon-to-be events in their future. Now, I say there, I'm stressing the word there because he was speaking of the future of many that would still be alive when these things occurred. These events were completed, the ones that he's writing about and we're talking about, by AD 70 to 73, which was actually less than a decade away from uh, those receiving this epistle of Peter. Remember, this was written in 
the mid-60s A.D. Uh, some have it 64, some have it even later, past 65 or past 66. <clears throat> Although 66, we know, is the time when when Jerusalem as a city was under uh, was in a warring atmosphere, starting with uh, three particular Jewish groups that came into the city, causing much trouble in Bedlam amongst the Jews there. <clears throat> so that may have been a difficult time to get such a thing as an epistle out. Nonetheless, um, we know the time period. So let me move on in this introduction to something that was written in the third chapter. It says this, but the scoffers of that day were saying, where is the promise of his presence? Or in most of our English Bibles, the promise of his coming, it says, <clears throat> which almost works for this passage, but the word is actually present, it should be present all the way through when it is the word parousia. Now, let's look at Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. What does it say? <clears throat> this first knowing, that there shall come in the latter end of the days scoffers, according to their own desires going on and saying, where is the promise of his presence? For since the fathers did fall asleep, all things so remain from the beginning of the creation. Now, that's what many were saying. Were they right? No, they were wrong. Uh, and, of course, Peter is <laughs> going to do much to disprove <coughs> their thinking here in this, uh, in this concept. What they're saying was definitely on their, uh, for their own desire and their own conscience, even, if you will. They were saying these things as though the history of God's blessings and judgments of the past had never occurred. But God had left a clear pattern of his work, and they knew it, but chose to ignore the truth. Now, did the Jews have the scrolls? Did they have the, the, uh, the law and the prophets that had been kept through the years? Of course they did. And Jews were raised in the teaching of these things. They knew that they knew all of these things, but they chose to ignore the truth. Now, that's a very bad circumstance. But before we speak too harshly of these people of the past, let's remember that much of Christendom today is saying the same thing, not using the same maybe terminology such, such as our fathers and things of that sort, but Let's look at some of the things that we hear in Christendom all the time by people that are churchgoers that have named Christ as their Savior, and, and yet there seems to be something really missing. Many deny creation and embrace evolution. Now, why would they do that when the scriptures are so clear? I mean, we don't have a how-to manual on creation. Um, because we couldn't do anything with it if we had it. But it's clear that creation is is, is what God has accomplished uh, in, in everything that we see. But many embrace this idea of evolution, which is man-made, and it denies the creator. Secondly, many deny the flood of Noah's day. And I, I really never grasped the real reason why people uh, did this. You know, I really thought that they just thought it was too, just too, too impossible to imagine. But, you know, I think there's a deeper meaning. Now, many people, when they talk about Noah's flood and teach it even in the church, in Sunday school, and they will teach that it was only a localized flood, only in the area of... Uh, Mesopotamia or something of that sort. 
A lot of a big flood, but still localized. Refusing to see <clears throat> that God destroyed all evil men in the world, save Noah and seven others. That's what the scripture says. Now, why deny this that the scriptures clearly teach? Well, I know the answer, and I've heard it many times. They always say this, because God is love, and he would not destroy men and women, and then they may have some reason why. The idea of love, of course, never enters their mind that love, the agape love of God is a love that also disciplines and loves beyond the concept of men nearly. Let's look at Genesis, uh, chapter 6, and see if there's any way for us to embrace the idea of a localized flood and, and some of the other nonsense that we hear. Genesis 6, uh, 5 through 5 and 6, <clears throat> and Jehovah seeth that abundant is the wickedness of man in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart are, are only evil all the day. Verse 6, And Jehovah repenteth that he had made man in the earth, and he grieveth himself unto his heart. Now as it goes on, we find that God chooses Noah because he has found uh, grace in the eyes of Jehovah, and he does builds the ark and, and that sort of thing. And he preaches this for, uh, for 120 years to the people in the, in the world at that time. Let's look, uh, move on to verses 18 through 24. And I have established my covenant with thee, and thou hast come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of all that liveth, of all flesh, two of every sort thou dost bring into the ark to keep alive with thee, male and female are they. Of the fowl of its kind, of the cattle after its kind, and every creeping thing on the ground after its kind, two of every sort that cometh into thee to keep alive. And thou take to thyself all the food that is eaten, and thou hast gathered it unto thyself, and it hath been to thee and to them for food. And Noah doth according to all that God commanded him, and so he had done. Well, we find, um, we find that it, it seems to me we had quite a destruction uh, within the world. Uh, let's move on to, um, in chapter 7, towards the end of the chapter, all right, verse 11. Now, keep, keep going down. I don't want to read too much of this tonight. Um, All right, verse 18 and 19. And the waters are mighty and multiply exceedingly upon the earth, and the ark goeth on the face of the waters. And the waters, having been very mighty and um, very, very mighty on the earth, and covering all the high mountains which are under the whole heavens, 15 cubits upward have the waters become mighty, and the mountains are covered. All expire. And it says, let me start over, verse 21, And expire doth all flesh that is moving on the earth, among the fowl and among the cattle, among the beasts, and among all of the teeming things which are teeming on the earth and all mankind. In, the whole, in all in whose nostrils is breath of, of the living spirit, of all that is in the dry land, have died. All right, now, 
Why is the destruction of mankind and the flood denied today? And I'm not talking about people that aren't Christians. I'm talking about Christians. Why is it denied? Because of what it would mean, if true, that each of us will also be judged at some time. Now, we know in this age we're judged when to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, of course, that's a time of reckoning. So there is a judgment. God does judge. There are standards that he has set. We can set lots of standards, but they're not his. We need to go by his. Most Christians today are also waiting for the so-called second coming of Jesus. They feel at that time judgment will come upon all the earth, if you will, even destruction of the earth and things of that sort. We'll get into that in chapter 3. But why is this view held by so many Christians today? When the apostles of Christ taught that this would happen in their generation. Were the apostles wrong? Many say yes. Was Jesus wrong? Hope not. Well, we certainly hope he wasn't wrong. And many have said, well, yeah, I guess he was wrong on that. Wrong on what? Wrong on his, what he said about this time frame, friends. Let's look at Matthew 24, verse 33 to 37. Remember, this is Jesus speaking here to the apostles. And if we look at verse 33, I think we're going to understand that many of these apostles were going to be alive to see the very thing that Jesus is talking about. And also ye, when you may see all these, you know that it is nigh at the door. What's nigh? The end of the age. The time of judgment. Verily I say to you, this generation may not pass away till all these things come to pass. The heaven and the earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And concerning that day and the hour no one hath known, not even the, the angels of the heavens except my Father only. And as the days of Noah so shall also be the presence of the Son of Man. You see how that fits together? We're talking about the deluge of Noah's day, the end of the, of the age of that world came to an end. So did the age of the Jews come to an end. As the apostles said, what will be the signs of the culmination of the age? And Jesus is explaining it here in Matthew 24. We also read about it in Mark 13 and uh, Luke 21. You see that? They weren't wrong. Jesus wasn't wrong. Because we need to read the rest of the Bible. We need to move on from Matthew 24 to Matthew 25. And then on through the Gospels and into Acts and into the epistles through the revelation so that we can have the truth of things. And so the rest of this epistle that we're talking about in Peter, uh, chapters 2 and 3, are dealing with the proper understanding of the things soon to be. The Jewish people knew that the presence of the Messiah the, the, the time of the Messiah amongst them, and of course that was Jesus of Nazareth, was the end of the age. As the prophets had written in the scriptures in many, many places. So, the end was near. And um, as we know, there were literally hundreds of prophecies uh, concerning Jesus that was written in the Old Testament by the prophets 
the information coming from heaven that they would rec- not only recognize the Messiah when he was there, but understand the things that would follow, things that would be with him and in his time, the days of his flesh, and all that transpired into the kingdom of God, which is indeed the church of the Lord. So why deny it? Those of Peter's day, and we also, some 2,000 years later, we have lots of people denying lots of things that are in Scripture. And, you know, I've often thought, and I, I, I really couldn't live with myself, and so if I accepted some of Scripture and rejected another part, simply because either I don't like what that says, or I don't want to hear that. Or I don't understand it. If I don't understand it, I need to study to where I can understand it. And friends, in this, in this denial, this, this constant bickering and, and, and uh, mixed teachings amongst the brethren, the assemblies of Christ must do better, much better. Now, if you need a challenge, I think that's it right there. Uh, We can do better. I just don't think we're doing that well when it comes to this. And, you know, a lot of folks say, well, these these end times uh, teachings and all, uh, they're they're fine and dandy, but they don't have anything to do with salvation. Well, maybe on the surface, a cursory view of of these things, maybe... You could make that statement, but in reality, when it comes right down to it, when you're that far off and you really don't know where you are and who you are, it becomes a real issue with salvation, especially when you have people saying that Jesus got it wrong on the time frame. Well, that didn't happen, so he got it wrong. We can't have a Messiah. We can't have a Savior, the Son of God, that gets something wrong. I can't, and I hope that you won't either. You can't ignore the the vengeance of God here either. No. It was justified. (laughs) And that's why, as we read on in this text, um, in 2 Peter, we're going to find that Peter brings in the examples to those that were scoffers, saying, where is the promise? You know, where are, when are these things going to occur? Because nothing's happened since the day of creation. How could they say that? Because they don't want to hear what the apostles are saying. That's the argument, see? They need somebody to argue with. Well, let's look at Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 4, we can get right into it, and this is a verse just full of information that we need to understand. Um, Verse 4, and this is under the Young's uh, translation. For if God's, for if God messengers, there's no S on God's there, I checked it in the Greek. For if God messengers, or angels, as we would say, who sinned, did not spare, but with chains of thick gloom have cast them, that is the the messengers, the angels, down to Tartarus, to deliver them to judgment, having been reserved. We'll stop there, even though the statement goes on. You see, that judgment's been reserved. When? And when this letter was written. We need to know if what happened, is it still reserved or has it been accomplished? The, teach, the, the scripture tells us so. Now, God's judgment is present in all of his creation. Even amongst the angels of heaven, and these, of course, that rebelled. Um, 
And they were cast into a particular place called Tartarus. Now, in our King James Bible, we, we know that uh, everything that is um, uh, Tartarus or, or Hades or Gehenna, they use the same word, hell, for everything. And I'm not going to get into the long, lengthy issue about why. Um, but the word, the Greek word here is Tartarus. And what we have in the English is almost a, um, a rendering, an English rend- rendering of this Greek word. But it was a particular place. And I think that um, E.W. Bullinger, in his wonderful uh, Greek lexicon, uh, dictionary that I think does a good work on this. He he uh, re- rejects the idea that um, that this is just all the same thing. And he goes into he has three or, three or four pages on the word hell. And in the very last uh, issue, he has uh, because it says hell in the King James, he uses it. But it's cast down to Tartarus. And here's what he says about that word. Tartarus is not Sheol or Hades, Sheol being the grave, or Hades, where all men go in death, nor is it where the wicked are to be consumed and destroyed, which is Gehenna, not the abode of men in any condition, so you see, Tartarus is not a place where men are. It's not just the, the, the big receptacle that King James calls hell. Oh, no, it, it's not. We cannot simplify it and paint it with that wide brush. It is used only here and here only of the angels that sin. And we'll look at um, Jude 6 in just a little bit. It denotes the bounds or verge of this material world, the extremities of this lower air of which Satan is the prince that we read about in Ephesians 2.2, and of which Scripture speaks as having the rulers of darkness of this world and the wicked spirits in aerial regions. So uh, this is a special place. And if you'll notice the, the, the Scripture again, we have some figurative language here about um, uh, the uh, idea of how the chains, into chains of darkness, you see. Are chains made of darkness? Or is, you you see the concept? Uh, They are, they're held there in thick gloom, as as he has it. but with chains of thick gloom, and they were cast down into this place, Tartarus, to await judgment. They had been delivered unto judgment, and but it was reserved for the time of judgment. So, who were these angels? Let's look at Jude 6, and then we'll look at Matthew. Jude 6. Messengers or angels also who did not keep their own principality, but did leave their proper dwelling to a judgment of a great day in bonds everlasting under darkness he hath kept. You see any similarity between that verse and what Peter writes here? Uh, Oh, yes. It is all it is all there. Of a great day. You see, that's the same day that we read all the way through the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The end of the Jewish age. The great day. All right, let's look at uh, then Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. We'll read a few verses here. So uh, write these things down if, if, you, if you're taking notes. Or key, it's on the outline, and that's online. And whenever the Son of Man may come in his glory and all the holy messengers with him, then he shall sit 
upon a throne of his glory. By the way, this is all spoken about in in Daniel and in Revelation chapter 20. And gathered together before him shall be all the nations, and he shall separate them from one another as a shepherd doth separate the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep indeed on his right hand and the goats on his left. They shall, then shall the king say to those on his right hand, Come ye the blessed of my father, inherit the reign that hath been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. By the way, this is Jesus being the judge, right? The king. Since the foundation of the world. Verse 35, For I did hunger, and you gave me to eat. I did thirst, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you received me. Naked, and you put around me. I was infirm, and you looked after me. In prison I was, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see thee hungering, and we nourished, or thirsting, and we gave to drink, and when did we see thee a stranger, and we received, or naked, and we put around? And when did we see thee infirmed, or in prison, and we came unto thee? And the king answered, saying to them, Verily I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these my brethren, the least, to me you did it. Then shall he say unto all those on his left hand, Go ye from me, the cursed, these are the goats, to the fire, the age during, that hath been prepared for the devil and his messengers or angels. You see, this is the group that we're talking about, the angels that left their their estate, their principal place, and followed the devil. Um, Now, the word age during is a way of saying, instead of saying eternal, this is a better rendition of, because eternal is not a word. Eternal can have, and has a beginning and an end, and there is no end here. Age during, there's no end to this. The, The fire the lake of fire, the punishment, no end. So that's who these angels are, but where are they now? See, this is a pertinent question for Christians today or for Christians, I believe, after the occurrence of what we just read. Where are they now? Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. And we'll look verses 10 through 15. Now you see, this is the the scene, if you will, that Daniel saw in, in, in one of his visions, of course, when thrones were set and those sat upon them. This is the same scene. Um, the time of judgment for all the, all that uh, were brought before. And in verse 10 in chapter 20 it says, And the devil, who is leading them astray, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where are the beasts and the false prophet, and they shall be tormented day and night to the ages of the ages. That's eternally or forever, if you will. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was sitting upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven did flee away, and the place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and scrolls were opened, and another scroll was opened, which is that of the life. Don't forget that word, that article in front of life there, the life. And the dead were judged out of the things written in the scrolls according to their works. And the seed to give up those dead in it and the death and the the Hades uh, did give up 
the dead in them, or Gehenna, and they were judged, each one according to their works. And the dead and, and the deaf and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found um, was not found written in the scroll of the life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is the lake of fire? It is the place that Jesus said is where Satan and his, his angels are. And here we find that also the false prophet and the beast and all that stood against God and the Son of God ended up. Now, we teach clearly when it comes to this time of judgment that it occurred during the time period of 66 through 70 A.D. And we, we say so because the Bible says that it, it did uh, in way of all that is given as far as the grammar through, through the original language, the time frame, and all that Jesus said to the apostles and all that the apostle John has written in John and all the epistles, the apostle Paul, this is what people understood, that this was soon to be in, in their day, soon to be. Um, in, in the book of Romans, um, G, or, uh, the apostle Paul tells the church in Rome that, that uh, soon, very soon, the Satan would be crushed under their feet. Under the church's feet soon. Now, we just we just have to get a handle on this, and 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 tell others about it. So where are they now? They've been judged. So those that were saying, where is his promise? When are things going to change? Well, they didn't have to wait very long, because less than a decade, all these things have been accomplished in that way. Now, does that mean everything over and we're just hanging out here by a, a string? Not hardly, because we exist in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of God, as brethren of his Son, um, in the eternal, that is, uh, never-ending age of the kingdom of God, where there is no time, so we don't have to worry about worrying about what time it is or when is it going to be over because it will never be over. As God has always been, uh, in, in the past, he shall always be in the future. Although we hate to even use the word future, it seems to have an end, right? Yeah, it does in our thinking. But our thinking in our ways are not God's ways. But we're trying to match the two up. All right, let's look at, uh, continue on here this evening in uh, the second chapter, looking at verse 5 through 11. I'm going to read that now, and then we'll have some comments about some of these things. These are examples written in, in, a, in a way that leaves little to the imagination, to say the least. In verse 5, in the old world did not spare but the eighth person, Noah, of righteousness, a preacher, did keep. A flood on the world of the impious have brought. You, you see, in that verse we find that it is the impious that suffered the flood. Not the rest. Not the eighth. Not Noah. So there we see the, the judgment and seen very clearly, all in one verse. Verse 6, And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, having turned to ashes, with an overflow did condemn. An example to those about to be impious, having set. Now, you see, this is very, very interesting. In other words, if you are thinking to be impious, uh, 
the day that Peter wrote this, you need to think again. Because uh, these things are coming your way. God is not, is not slow in his ways at all. Now, this is uh, Genesis chapter 18. Uh, many Bibles just call it the three visitors, Abraham's three visitors. Read it carefully and, and slowly. You'll find it was the, uh, the Lord and two angels from heaven came to discuss the state of rebellion in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was the home of righteous Lot, uh, who was the nephew of Abram. All right. Let's read on then, verse 7. And righteous lot worn down by the conduct in lasciviousness of the impious, he did rescue. In other words, God did rescue lot. For in seeing and hearing the righteous man dwelling among them day by day, the righteous soul with unlawful works was harassing. It was a terrible place for him to be. Verse 9, the Lord hath known to rescue pious ones out of, out of temptation and unrighteousness and the, un, and the unrighteous ones to a day of judgment, being punished to keep. In other words, they are, they're kept to be punished on the day of judgment. Verse 10, and chiefly those going behind the flesh in desire of uncleanness and lordship despising, presumptuous, self-complacent, dignities they are not afraid to speak evil of, whereas messengers or angels in strength and power being greater do not bear against them before the Lord an evil-speaking judgment. We'll pause there. Um, these verses are so interesting. Now, we find that no and seven others were spared, but the impious were destroyed. So those that were condemning God for being, uh, for not keeping his promise, I think that is the role of an impious person. Uh, so that, that should be enough said in that case. In verses 6 through 8, here we find that God destroyed the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he delivered Lot and his daughters. The angels did. They drew them out of the city. Remember, they were all told to not look back upon the city. Why? Because that was an evil place that was being destroyed. But Lot's wife could not keep herself from doing so, and she was turned to a pillar of salt, of which I, apparently that pillar lasted for some time there. There are some say that they still know where it is. Um, nonetheless, we don't really know where Sodom or Gomorrah was exactly. Uh, they think they found it in the south part of the Dead Sea. Nonetheless, oh, well, mainly because they found the, the brimstone and all of the things of destruction that, that devastated that area in a location down there. The, uh, the, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is a real event. It actually happened. God performed the deed, sent his angels to do so, and destruction reigned from heaven upon them. Jesus spoke about it. The Jews knew about it. How could they say that God was not doing and doing the things that he had promised, both blessings and punishment? And doing them quickly. And doing them quickly. And that what and that's why it's such a great example here. It's a wonderful example. Just think one righteous man, Lot, who of course was a pious man uh, and trying to trying to live in that 
area that he selected for a place to live. Abraham gave him the, uh, the uh, choice of where he wanted to raise his animals and, and take as a possession, um, and he chose that area, and now this was going on where he was. And it was, as the, word, the scripture says, he was harassed by it. This was a terrible place to be. And uh, that, I think, is just something that we have to understand. Now, in verse 9, it says, The Lord rescues the pious out of temptation. See, that, that refers to a number of scriptures that we find all through the Bible. The Lord rescuing, rescuing who? I think of David, King David. He was rescued. Many people were rescued from uh, destruction um, out of temptation. You know, the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches that uh, regardless of our circumstances, that God will provide a way of escape if we resist, if we stand our ground, there will be a way of escape out of temptation, us giving in. but we need to resist, and God will rescue the righteous. And the unrighteous one, to the day of judgment. You see, those are promises from, from heaven. Those are promises. These are the things that stand in the face of those that were saying, where is his promise? Unless we know everything that's occurred and have read the works of God and what he has done, we can't say where is his promise. And that's the problem. People do not know. They're not, they're not studying this for themselves. They're simply going by what someone else said or what they feel or their emotions of the time. In verse 10 and 11, the last two verses I read uh, have to do with, uh, with speaking ill against heavenly beings, Uh, even speaking evil of Satan himself in in way of an accusation. Um, And even the angels from heaven won't do it. Let's look at Jude 8 through 10. Jude 8 through 10. Jude has something to say about this. You see, this was knowledge that that the Jews had of that day. And he said, in like manner, nevertheless, those dreaming also the flesh indeed do defile. The lordship they put away. You see, these are denying Christ once again. And dignities they speak evil of. Those dignities are the heavenly host. Yet, in verse 9, Michael, the chief messenger, when with the devil contending, he was disputing about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring up an evil-speaking judgment, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. You see that? That's what Michael rebuked Satan because of this. That's found in the book of Enoch, by the way. Verse 10, And these, as many things indeed, as they have not known, they speak evil of and as many things as naturally as the irrational beasts they understand. In these they are corrupted. So it causes a corruption when we speak evil of the heavenly host when we do not have, number one, any authority to do so, nor do we understand the circumstances fully to make such comments like that. Now, as long as we're speaking about judgment, I have another passage I want to read to close out tonight. Because this also was the message of the apostles to the church of that day. And we need to understand it today. Because these things are uh, were close at hand when this was written. Uh, and this is found in Acts 17. Of course, it's speaking about Paul's uh, uh, Paul's sermon on Mars Hill before the Epicurean and Stoic uh, groups there 
the thinkers and movers and shakers, I guess, of the day, the intellectuals. But uh, Paul says here, the times indeed, therefore, of the ignorance God having overlooked doth now command all men everywhere to reform or repent is another word we use because he did set, that is God did set a day in which he is about to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he did ordain having given all assurance to, to all, rather, having raised him out of the dead. That's a very good translation of that passage. About to judge. Does that sound like thousands and thousands of years into the future when he is about to judge the world? I don't really think so. Uh, I, I think if if we're going to stretch things like that in the scriptures, we really don't have a foundation at all to believe. Same word, mellow. He will judge. Um, you know, a lot of our Bibles will have the, they'll put the word "shall." Uh, he shall judge the world. But that that's not a word that gives us any time frame. The word mellow does. The time frame's important here, wouldn't you say? I think it's very important. And of course, the man who was raised from the dead by God, as the scriptures say, is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And he is the judge of the world. We read about that in Revelation 20 tonight. These things all fit together. Peter wanted those that read this epistle to know it, to remember it, to believe it, and to be ready because it was at hand. It was about to be. And so that is our lesson this evening. We will move on in chapter 2, starting with verse 12, uh, and and moving towards the end of the chapter. Uh, Next Lord Day, uh, the Lord willing, Let us close with a word of prayer this evening. Our Father in heaven, as we read the words of the Lord's Apostle and understand and realize the things that were taught by the Lord's Apostles to the world of that day, we pray, Father, that we may have the same message today and the understanding that we need to see these things as they really are and to live this life in the kingdom in the place that you that we are that we find ourselves just now and we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ amen Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.